This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Jude chapter 8, we're going to visit Jude, Jude chapter 8, Jude chapter 1, verse 3, I don't even know why I said 8, but Isaiah 61, Jude, only one book in Jude, one chapter in Jude, and then Isaiah chapter 61, we're really going to launch from Isaiah 61, but let me tell you where this message comes from, okay, now we have been over the last month during Pastor's Appreciation, talking about the truth and making sure that we understand the truth. And uh, before we transition, something came in mind that I thought it would be good that we go over, right? Now, I don't know any other way to say it, but this is how I think of it. Man has ascended in his own mind to heights where man doesn't belong. And that's just, that's just what man does. Okay? Man always thinks he's the fastest. Man always thinks he's the strongest. You know, sometimes I think <sighs> man has issues. Okay, man has issues. But that's just man in general. Right? Man, man always has to be better than somebody else. Man always has to be the pinnacle of something. Right? Now, that's man. That, that's, that's just what man does. You know, that, that's in Adam. But what gets me, and what's so bad is when men in the church use biblical terms to send to those unwarranted heights. And here's the term that is often used, anointed. They throw out the term anointed. They throw out the term anointing. And we find that people use that. And when they use it, it seems as though they occupy a plane that is higher than where you occupy. Okay? And it's, it's become a buzzword in the church. And so you find people using it all the time. You know, here's one of the things I, I like to be mindful of. The kingdom is consistently growing. <laughs> Amen. Which means, and I say this to this extent, we throw out words and people come in that are new because the kingdom is continually growing, and all they do is just, they just flock with everybody else, using what we use, saying what we say, not necessarily fully having an understanding of what they're saying, what they're using. And so this is what happens. This is what happens in the church. We like to repeat. We hear a certain person say a thing, and man, that sounds so poetic. That sounds so right, and people shouted behind that. So I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to use that same way. And so we develop catchphrases, buzzwords that we throw around recklessly. And often what happens is we just find ourselves repeating what we heard others say. And I want to make sure you understand there's a danger in living by the word of man. There's a danger in living by the word of man. You see, because men, even in their most sincere and the most honest attempts, uh, man can be wrong. 
And and Jesus said it. Well, it was in the scriptures, which is why he said it. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. I'm telling you, when I say live by the word of man, I also mean this. We can't live by gospel music. We can't live by gospel music. Those are not the scriptures. <laughs> they are meant to entertain and keep your mind occupied. And I don't care what church they come from. You know, oh, I don't say this. There are things that go on, and there are a lot of things that go on in churches, and people are debating about what church follows what doctrine, and should we listen to their music. And I want to tell you, I don't care if the church does have good doctrine. That doesn't mean their music is sound doctrine. And most definitely if the church is not following sound doctrine, their music is going to flow in a way that doesn't follow sound doctrine. But just because the church has sound doctrine, just because Church of the Living Water teaches the way it does, does not mean you are to live by the words of the music that we sing. What we're to do is to make sure that the words of the music we sing follow the scripture. That's the safest place to be. Yeah, but it don't sound rhythmic. It doesn't sound so poetic. But you know what? I want to make it to the end. So if I'm not as jazzy as the next individual, but I'm there with my maker, praising him in his presence, I'm all right. <laughs> you know, sometimes you've got to keep the goal in mind. Because when you keep the goal in mind, then it's worth the things that you say you sacrifice to get there. Now, it might not seem like it's that big a deal to misuse words, but I want to tell you, if nothing else, have you paid attention to, I know some people just don't like to talk politics, and I understand, because politics is not the kingdom. But you can tell a lot about the air and the atmosphere and society by paying attention to what goes on. And one of the things that has been going on for a number of years now is we are overloaded with information. And the more overloaded we become with information, the more there's an opportunity to be misled, to believe the wrong thing. And I find in the political atmosphere, I find the church being overloaded with information. And I find that people who should know better don't know better, but they used to. Which means we can be pulled away. Which means we can be moved away. And let me tell you about the enemy. The enemy is subtle. He's not going to say, here's a lie, believe it. He's going to take the truth, make it a buzzword, make you not pay attention to what it really means. And suddenly you're flowing in a different direction than the direction God has for you. And so I don't believe you're going to hell because you misuse a term. But I do believe it puts you in position to be led away. So if you found this in Jude, let's start at verse 3. just want to read a couple of scriptures for you. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Let me read this again, because I like how this is stated. This, these are one of these scriptures that just always stays with me. 
It's just constantly in my mind. And I believe it is, how can I say it? It's a last day scripture. We live in the last days. And I believe that this becomes more and more paramount, more and more important the closer we get to the coming of our King. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in. They didn't bust in. They crept in. And it wasn't obvious. It's not obvious. They crept in unawares. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Who are these that crept in unawares? These are ungodly men. Stop and think about that. We're talking about the kingdom. We're talking about Christendom. We're talking about churches. There are people who creep in unawares, but they're ungodly men. And these ungodly men have such influence that they can turn, in people's mind, the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you catch the gravity of what is written there? They creep in, and people who were there because they say they love the Lord turn God's grace into lasciviousness and deny the one. So here's my goal. My goal is that you know the truth for yourself. So you will not be deceived by ungodly men. That's the whole goal. So that you may know the truth for yourself. So that you are not just repeating what you've heard others say, using it like they used it and saying, well, they said it. They just might be ungodly men who crept in unawares. So you need to know the truth for yourself. And so if you're going to title this message, title this message, The Truth About Anointing. The Truth About Anointing. And I have three objectives. Objective one is to show you the anointing in the Old Testament. Number two, I want to show you the anointing at work in the New Testament. And then I want to show you how this is applied in the New Testament church. Amen. Now, since I made all that statement about you not following what men say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to Scripture. After Scripture. After Scripture. This is boring. This is safe. I'm, I'm, keep the goal in mind. <laughs> keep the goal in mind. I, I am so convinced in this. I don't believe that people get married to get divorced. I believe they start out with all good intentions. That this is going to be it. This is the last stop. There's no more after this. But something happens. They let the guard down. They let things enter in. And before you know it, what they said would never happen. 
that's taking place. And I believe if we don't stay sober, how do I say this about staying sober? Here's what we need to stay sober in the church. Stop coming to be entertained. I can entertain you to sleep. (laughs) You don't even understand that, do you? I don't mean literal sleep. I mean figurative sleep to where you are caught up with men who creep in unawares because you were so overcome with being entertained with them coming for the truth of God. This is what I love about Church of Living Water. Here you can know them. If you want to. But people with entertainment minds, they shut off messages like this. See, because it doesn't pay bills at the moment. It doesn't stop arguments I'm having with my spouse at the moment. (laughs) But let me tell you this. Oh, I, I love how Jesus just teaches, right? You know, you'd rather enter into life without a spouse than be entertained and miss heaven and be with your spouse. I know that's tough. Boy, that ain't word. That ain't, well, you know what? <laughs> when that day comes, you know who you're going to stand with? Yourself. Because you are heirs together, but you go in one at a time. So turn to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Let's start this. Verse number one. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me. To preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Now that key word there is anointed. So you remember my objectives. First we're going to see and show you the anointing in the Old Testament. Here's a very popular scripture that many of you may be familiar with. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Now, this word anointing, or anointed, he hath anointed me, that is in the Hebrew, the word mashak. M-A-S-H-A-C-H. M-A-S-H-A-C-H. Mashak. If you look the word up, in the Hebrew, you might find the word rub. In its basis form, it means to rub. Okay? Keep that in mind. Now, what you will find, if you are familiar with the scriptures, if not, what you will find is that anointing is prevalent in Moses' tabernacle. And I call it Moses' tabernacle. It really wasn't his. He was faithful over somebody else's house. But what we know is Moses' tabernacle, anointing takes a very prominent role. Okay? 
So look at this in Exodus chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. And what you're going to find is when we start studying this, you'll find out that a lot of these people that you're listening to, they haven't studied. Amen. Exodus chapter 29. Verse 7. Well, yeah, let, let's just look at verse 7. Well, let, me, let me state it this way. Okay. So, if you're not familiar with Moses' tabernacle, God instructed the children of Israel through Moses to construct a tabernacle. That tabernacle was the center of their worship. And in that tabernacle, they had various items but also in charge of the tabernacle, I'll say it that way, were the priests, predominantly the high priest. Okay. And so God being the purposeful God that he is, everything in that tabernacle had meaning. Everything in that tabernacle had purpose. Even down to the clothes that the high priest wore. He had a breastplate. He had what the Bible calls an ephod had a girdle, had a miter. Everything was on purpose. And in order to serve in the tabernacle, God was very specific with Moses, is that the people serving must be consecrated. And so the consecration had meaning. The consecration has purpose, because that's the type of God that we have. And don't you know he's the God of all spirits? You know what that means to you? That means you're not here on accident. That means God had purpose in mind for you. I don't care what mom and daddy said. They may have said, oops. God said, I'm not surprised. And he has you here for purpose. But everything God does is on purpose. And he taught us that from the beginning. And he shows us that in the tabernacle. And so what we're going to find in Exodus chapter 29 is a part of the consecration of the high priest. He says it here in verse number 7. These are all the instructions of God. Then shalt thou take the anointing oil and pour it upon his. That's the high priest. Shall pour it upon the high priest's head and anoint him. So there's an anointing going on here. There's anointing oil. And with it, the high priest is Aaron. The first high priest under the Old Testament is Aaron. In the tabernacle, I should say. The first high priest in the tabernacle is Aaron. And he is to be consecrated. And to consecrate him, there must be an anointing. And there's anointing oil, and with it, Aaron is anointed. Anoint here is that same word, Moshek. The same word. I told you it's going to be heavy in study. But you can follow. Trust me. And remember what I said. It's the Hebrew word. You look it up. It says to rub. But here it says pour. So there's not a... He didn't say rub Aaron's head. He said pour the oil upon Aaron's head and anoint him. 
Stay with me on that one. Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. So in order to be consecrated into service, the high priest had to have or had to be anointed. We don't see a rubbing, we see a pouring. We see a pouring of oil. But it's that same word, Moshek. Now in Exodus chapter 40, here it's going to talk about the different furniture in the tabernacle. Now, not only was the high priest anointed, but look at this in verse number 9. Start in verse number 9. Exodus 40, verse number 9. And thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein and shalt hallow it and all the vessels thereof and it shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint the altar of the burnt offering. That's one of the pieces of furniture. The altar of the burnt offering and all his vessels. The offering, I mean the burnt offering altar had its vessels. Had its utensils. They had to be anointed. And sanctify the altar, and it shall be an altar most holy. And thou shalt anoint the laver and his foot, and sanctify it. That's another piece of furniture within the tabernacle. The laver. That's where they washed. That had to be anointed. Verse 12. And thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and wash them with water. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments, and anoint him, and sanctify him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt bring his sons and clothe them with coats. And thou shalt anoint them as thou didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. So, so here we have it. That same word, Mashach, is here. So it's all throughout the tabernacle. And so, this anointing is going to take place with oil. Now, you might think, well, maybe on the furniture, maybe they can do some rubbing on the furniture, you know. But I don't think they, we already saw, he didn't rub Aaron, poured the oil on his head. Did the same with Aaron's sons. Now, now I'm just helping you out. This is a way to study. This is one of the things you study. See, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So I can look up the Hebrew word and I can find a rub. But you know what? This brings insight to me. Let me tell you also this about God. If you ask God and you want it, he'll show it to you. But do you want it? A lot of people don't want it. They ask for it. <laughs> they never get it. And they don't put any effort for it, to it. But when you get to points like this, like, you know, this, I don't see rubbing. But then you start thinking about, what does it mean to rub? When I rub something, I'm applying something on purpose. So I would say a better definition... You can't always just go by Webster. But you can go by the Holy Spirit book. <laughs> so a better definition probably would be <sighs> purposefully applied. Amen. So in the anointing, there's a purposeful application. Now, when it comes to anointing an individual, again, now it's possible, maybe over furniture you can do some rubbing. Now, he doesn't specify that here. 
But we see plainly when it comes to an individual, when they are anointed, when they're purposefully applied, there's oil poured upon them. We saw it in Exodus 29 and 7. You have to turn there again. Then shalt thou take the anointing oil and pour it upon his head and anoint him. Remember, there was anointing oil by which the individual, the high priest, Aaron, was anointed. Wasn't rubbed, but there was a purposeful application. Now look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Are you still with me? I know you are. I know you are. 1 Samuel chapter 10. It's like Bible School 101, yes. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon... Now, his here is the first king of the nation of Israel, which is Saul. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon Saul's head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? My goodness. It, 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 okay. Let me slow down. So here we have someone who's going to be king. King over God's people. And you can't just step up and say, I'm king. There must be a purposeful application. So Samuel anointed Saul as king by pouring oil upon him. Now, Samuel is doing the anointing in the natural, but he's doing it by the instruction of God. So it was really God who was anointing him. Amen. Glory to your name. Only God anoints. You're in First Samuel. Turn to chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. So here we have that same Samuel who anointed the first king. Now, he's going to anoint another king. Verse 13. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that is, David. So then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David to be king. We can say it that way. In the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Oh, I love this. I just love, I really do love the word of God just because I don't know how God does it. He just does it. Okay. So here Samuel anoints David king. But remember, it's not really Samuel. It's God who's doing the anointing and Samuel is the arm of God. 
So as it pertains to anointing individuals, we see that David being anointed here is mentioned in such a fashion that we understand what happens with the anointing. Let's take the slow again. Verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And what happened with that? And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. Moshach. Purposefully applied. What is being purposefully applied? The power of God by the Holy Spirit. Is purposefully applied. And that is what's going on when these in the Old Testament are anointed. Therefore, remember, when individuals are anointed, there's always oil. And after the anointing, then suddenly, here's the Spirit is. So what does that oil represent? See, I'll tell you, you can follow. Therefore, the anointing oil indicates to us that the oil represents the Holy Spirit. Remember where we started, Isaiah 61 and 1? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. So God is not just willy-nilly anointing people in the Old Testament. He applies the Holy Spirit, his power upon individuals, on purpose. He is showing us purpose when the oil is applied to Aaron. He's showing us purpose when the oil is applied to King Saul. He's showing us purpose when the oil is applied to King David. Let me tell you about man and the anointing. Oh, I'm, I'm, this is something else. Yeah, yeah, we'll look at the second Samuel. Chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let me tell you about this man who's anointed called David. He was a good king. But there was a time when kings go to war and he didn't go. He didn't go to battle. And you know what he did? He committed adultery with another man's wife. And, you know, you've got to study that out because you, you just love God's terminology. He called Bathsheba the wife of the Hittite. <laughs> I'm telling you, God is just like, I know how you see David, but this is how I see it. That's another man's wife. But remember, this man was anointed. And when David committed his trespass with Bathsheba, God reminded him that he was anointed king over Israel by God. Second Samuel chapter 12. This is where the prophet of God has to tell David about himself. Verse 7, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, not in a good way, you're the man. You're the bad man, not the good man. 
you are the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. Don't you, again, don't you love that? God just makes it plain. Yeah, I know Samuel poured the oil, but I was the one doing the anointing. See, because no man can apply the Holy Spirit. I can. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thou saith, uh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Now, now here's all I want to see. All I want you to see in this. This demonstrates for us that though David had the Spirit upon him, he was a still a man that was capable of sin. <laughs> wow. I, you know, if you've heard, and I'm sure you've heard people claim that they are anointed. And because they are anointed, listen to me. Because I am anointed, pour into me. Because I'm anointed, I am the one to trust. But if we follow, anointed doesn't mean you're anything special. I mean, God had a purpose with you. So if nothing else, if I, if I don't learn anything else, then I know this much. Because you say you're anointed, doesn't mean you ain't got something wrong going on. God just puts it out there for us. Just so we know. Just so we recognize. You, you know, remember what I said at the beginning. Man tries to send to heights that man does not belong. Man tries to say, I'm, I'm special. And God's like, you're as special as everybody else in that congregation. So notice the offices. Are the people we've come across. Through the Old Testament, we see that the high priest... And the king were anointed by God to such positions. Now I want you to see another office in the Old Testament that requires being anointed. First Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. See, I've lost no one, have I? As long as you're awake, you're good. 1 Kings chapter 19. You know, what am I going to read? Let's start at verse 11. We'll read through verse uh, 16. This is the prophet Elijah that we're talking about. Uh, now, and God said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after that, after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? 
And Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, All right, go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And we already understand, anointing, purposely applied by God, the Holy Spirit, for kings. Okay? And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So we've seen the high priest. We've seen the king. Now we understand that the prophet is anointed. Same word, Moshek. So again, make sure you understand this. This is all on purpose. God anoints the king on purpose. God anoints the high priest on purpose. God anoints the prophet on purpose. We're still in the Old Testament. We haven't moved into the New Testament. We're still in the Old Testament. So we've talked about anoint as it pertains to a verb, but there's also anoint or anointed as it pertains to the noun. Look at this in Leviticus chapter 4. I told you it's going to be heavy in Scripture. Stay with me. Leviticus chapter 4. Let's read verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin. Do you hear that? If the priest that is anointed do sin. It seems as though God is sending a message to us. The individual who's a man who says he's anointed, you're just a man. If the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, and again, I love it. I'm sorry I have to stop this down because what we do is we have men in pulpits, men with ministry behind their names, men who show up on TV claiming to be men of God, and they make themselves something higher, something greater, something more than you and me. But God reminds them in the Old Testament, because you're anointed, doesn't make you more special to me than any other individual. Doesn't mean you walk water and they don't. If the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for his sin offering. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head, and kill the bullock before the Lord. Now all I want you to see is there, if the priest that is anointed. If the priest that is anointed. 
that's a noun there. The priest that is anointed. Look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 16 again. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're in study. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I like this. This is where this is slightly before Samuel anoints David to be king. He's ready to anoint somebody. Verse 6. And it came to pass when they were come, this is Jesse's sons, that he looked upon Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. There's that word again. Anointed. Same word we just saw over in Leviticus chapter 4. Now it's not talking about the actual application. It's talking about the one to whom the application has been applied. Now again, God stops them. And I, again, you just got to love the word of God. You're about to anoint somebody, Samuel, that I'm not anointing. Slow your roll. <laughs> Why? Because not, every, not just any old body can be anointed. Chapter 26, 1 Samuel. Chapter 26. Verse 7. This is when David was on the run from King Saul. Amen. You know, here's the thing about... Here's what I do fully believe. I believe as soon as David was anointed, there was no anointing there for King Saul. And I believe that because I believe the anointing belongs to one. One king. Among God's people. And let's keep going. So David and Abishai came to the people by night and behold Saul lay sleeping within the trench and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster but Abner and the people lay round about him Abner should be protecting him verse 8 then said Abishai to David God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day now therefore let me smite him I pray thee with the spear even to the earth at once and I will not smite him the second time I will need one time verse 9 and David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? There that same word is we saw in Leviticus chapter 4, 1 Samuel 16 and 6. Now I'm setting you up. Let's find that word again, but this time in Psalms. Psalm chapter 2. I grew up hearing it this way. The second number of Psalms. For those of you who come from places like that. <laughs> so Psalms 2. That's, that's a little go back for some of y'all. <laughs> so you remember where you came from. Psalm chapter 2. Let's read verse 1 and 2. Why do the heathen rage? 
and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Same word we just saw. Same noun we just saw. Leviticus chapter 4. 1 Samuel 16 and 6. 1 Samuel 26. Now we see it here. And some of you Bible scholars know who this is in reference to. The word used in these passages is the word, Hebrew word, Mashiach. M-A-S-H-I-Y-A-C-H. Mashiach. M-A-S-H-I-Y-A-C-H. Okay? Make sure we understand this. I'm telling you, it's gonna be scripture. You won't you won't be dependent upon what did that brother say? No, no, I'm gonna show you the scripture. Daniel chapter nine. Daniel chapter nine, just uh Isaiah, Jeremiah, with Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel chapter nine. Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to start at verse number 22. Well, let's start at verse 21. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, Gabriel's actually an angel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment... You know, i got to stop there too. Here's, here's one thing I said earlier about... Here's the thing about God. If you ask Him and you want it, He'll give it to you. Let me tell you about Revelation. Revelation is not about what you see. Revelation is about what God shows you. So we can all read the same thing. But God may be showing someone else something that you have not seen. How does God show me in settings like this? Amen. All right. Let me keep going. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. See, you may see some things, but I have to, well, God has to show you. To have true revelation. Verse 23. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth. And I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up the vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. He gave them a whole lot. Okay. But look at this in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah. Mashiach. Mashiach. Oh my goodness. Stay with me. Unto the 
Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. The Messiah, as it is written here, is that same Hebrew word, Mashiach. That same noun we just saw in Leviticus 4 and 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 26, Psalms 2. Mashiach means the anointed one, means the Messiah. So what was the purpose? Why did God purposefully apply what he applied to those individuals? The purpose was to point us to the Messiah. We've seen the high priest. We've seen the king. We've seen the prophet all be anointed. So, 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 so wait, 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 wait. I'm not even going here. Well, what does that mean about the furniture in the tabernacle? What does that mean about the tabernacle itself? Quite simply, it all points to Christ. It all points to the Messiah. I, I, I hope you're seeing this. Because what I want at the end of all this is for Christ to be exalted. And to men stay where he belongs. Because there's only one Christ. Let me tell you. You know, i got to watch myself because I can get worked up about this. Let me say it this way. You know, I'm a married man. And I love my wife. My wife is the one. She's the one I chose. And my wife takes care of me. She's been there when we didn't have. And I don't think we have right now. She still stayed. Therein, when I wasn't so smart, and now I'm a little bit smarter than wasn't so smart, she still stayed. When times were good, no doubt she was there. When times were bad, you know what? She didn't leave. When things were a little bit shaky, she remained. It's like she's been a rock. So if you start to talk bad about my wife, I got problems with you. Now, you can talk bad about a lot of people, and I won't like it. But you talk bad about my wife, you bring her to a level that she doesn't belong, you bring her to a common woman, you got problems with me. <laughs> now, I'll say this much, alright? Now, the other thing I'll say about this is even if you don't like what she does or how she does it, what does that matter to me? didn't matter at all to me because she's the one that I chose because I love her. And other people might say, well, you know what? 
well, I probably would be better. In all honesty, you might do some things better than me, but you can't be for her. And other people might say, well, I can do just as good as she does for you. No, you can't. I'll tell you that right now. You cannot. You can't possibly. Check this out. Check this out. Oh, my goodness. So even if you tried, you know what you would do? You'd constantly be trying to live up to what she's already done. And I don't care how far science goes. They might be able to clone sheep. They might be able to clone dogs. But even if they took my wife's DNA, put her memories in somebody else's body, they still wouldn't be my wife. Because you know why? They still won't be the original. There's only one original. And no one else can compare. And I've said it many times. The choice of a wife is the most important decision in my life, second to. I've chosen Christ. Or rather, Christ has chosen me. And I love him because he first loved me. And he gave himself for me. He delivered me from the pains of death. He delivered me from fear. See, when I was a low down, no good for nothing, he loved me even then. So why wouldn't I have that same jealousy when someone brings my Christ down from the heights that only he occupies? Why don't I get just as mad or not even mad? That's what gets me. I'm sorry, but this is, this is what works me up. When I see those who call themselves called to an office to represent God, to do all those things that are contrary to God. You don't get mad at stuff like that? I get mad at stuff like that. There's only one Christ. There is none other. And there is none that compares. None that is able to compare. And let me tell you, you're not even a cheap imitation. Don't even qualify to come that close. All you are is a bad knockoff. So what I want from this is Christ to be exalted. I want him to be where he belongs. High and lifted up. But we throw buzzwords around and we make him like he's no big deal. But there was purpose in the Old Testament. Just from studying the Old Testament, we can see. God, and here's the other thing about it. Here's what I want you to understand about this. When God points out, when the priest who's anointed sins, when God points out the king who's anointed sins, he lets us know, yeah, but you're not him. <laughs> you're not him. <laughs> see, because our high priest, the true high priest is holy. Harmless, blameless, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. So we're to see the Messiah through the high priest, the king and the prophet. Now turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. 
one book in front of Daniel, Ezekiel chapter 28. And we'll end talking about this sucker. There is one other prominent individual who's mentioned in the Old Testament, and people who have not studied say the wrong things about this. So it can't leave off the Old Testament and the anointed, the anointing, without talking about Ezekiel 28. And I'll ask you, before we even read it, could this possibly be about the Messiah? Ezekiel chapter 28, verse, we'll start at verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sargis, the topaz, the topaz and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thus walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Could that possibly be about the Messiah? If it couldn't possibly be about the Messiah, could it possibly even relate to the anointing that points to the Messiah? Verse 16, By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Mm -mm -mm -mm. This can't be about the Messiah. And I'll have you to know, here we go, let's do a little study. It says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. That word anointed is not mashak. It's not Mashiach. It's Mimshach. M-I-M-S-H-A-C-H. Doesn't mean to rub. Doesn't mean the anointed one. It means stretched full length with outstretched wings. And it is not found anywhere else except in this scripture. Now here's why I bring this up. If you do not know, this is God referencing the devil. He's referencing Lucifer, who was an angel who fell from his first estate. So when he talks about the cherub, Lucifer was a cherub. And it makes sense when you start thinking about Mimshach, stretchful length. I have very little time, so, so, so let's, let's get this. All right, have you ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. Raiders of the Lost Ark, the prominent article is the Ark of the Covenant. 
And it's been a while since I've seen it, but I could have sworn they actually showed the top. And if you read the Bible about the Ark of the Covenant, that's one of the articles in the tabernacle, it had a covering. Okay? Referred to as a mercy seat. And you'll find that God gave, everything had a purpose. God gave specific instructions on how to make that seat. And you know on that seat were cherubim. And you know what they had? They had their wings stretched. Why? Because they covered. And again, I want to make mention of this to you because some people will say, who have not studied, Adam was anointed. Jesus was anointed. Lucifer was anointed. They need to study. Because he is not in this conversation. He was a cherub that talks about his position as an angel. And he does not belong anywhere close to a plane where my Lord and Savior occupies. I'm telling you, stop repeating what you hear other people say. This is nothing like the anointing we were trying to show you. It has nothing to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> All it takes is a little bit of study. And I'm out of time. But we will be back next week. We'll look at the New Testament. And we'll, sh we'll show you that, in all honesty, it does have application to the New Testament church. But we want to make sure we understand it properly. Amen? Again, I told you, I wasn't going to be exciting in the senses. I wasn't a, a jump up and scream and tickle your flesh kind of message. But if you paid attention, you learn. You're in a better position now. I'm telling you, these are the last days. And there is coming, if it be possible, this is what the word says, if it be possible, the very elect would be deceived. But you know what God does for the very elect? He gives teachings like these. So that we won't be fooled and won't be tricked. <laughs> and you know, someone will say, but I missed that message. You know what? There's probably more than just this message that you missed. You missed that, huh? You might not be the elect. You might be lying to yourself. I just say that for this purpose. You better be sober. <laughs> you better wake up. You better not assume that I've got a ticket to ride. Because <laughs> that is not the case. You can be lulled to sleep. You better stay awake. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.